Welcome to the Flow State Podcast, where we're all about finding balance in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Monica Groni, Nora Candido. All right. I am so excited to dive into today's episode. We are talking all about birth control, why birth control is used so commonly for period symptoms, for cycle regulation, and what you should be thinking about if you are thinking about coming off hormonal birth control. I feel like this is a topic that comes up so often, so I'm so excited to talk about it today. Yeah, me too. Okay, so I think one of the first questions that I want to ask you, Nora, and so Nora, maybe just again, introduce yourself and let everyone know why you are an expert on this topic. (laughs) Thanks for saying that. Yeah, so uh, my name is Nora Candido. I am a registered dietitian, and I have done a lot of research on this based on my own personal experience, things that I was navigating in my own hormonal journey, but also from my schooling and my background in nutrition education. So I love speaking about this topic. I think everybody deserves to have access to this information, and I'm so happy to chat all things birth control. Yeah. And quick personal question, but have you been on or were you prescribed birth control at any point in your journey? Yeah. So my my story is long and that's not for today. But <laughs> when I first got my cycle, it was beautiful. We talked about this on the first episode, super light in the beginning. I used what they called it like a slender tampon. I don't even know because I haven't seen them since my first cycle 14 years ago. And then the next three came very quickly with no consistency. They were super heavy. I ended up missing 18 days of my freshman year of high school. And I went to my doctor and they were like, here, take this magical pill. It will help. And you know what? It did. And that's why, you know, we can talk about why it works, how it works, why it makes people's PMS or all of their symptoms go away. But for me, it was such a Band-Aid solution. Like it didn't address why that was even happening in the first place. Or if my doctor had been like, oh, this can be normal. Like these are your first few cycles. It's going to take time for your body to figure it out. Here are some nutrition and lifestyle tips that you could be doing while you're getting your cycle more frequently, focusing on nutrient dense foods, etc., and ways to just support my body better so it could figure it out on its own. I wasn't broken. Nothing was wrong with me inherently. But this pill that I ended up taking for 10 years masked all of those issues. And then they came rushing back as soon as I came off the pill. Yeah, I feel like that's such a common scenario. I know my story is very similar too. You know, I had heavy periods, I was getting acne, and it was just like ortho tricycline low, here you go, your problems are solved. So I feel like that is like such a common quick fix with a doctor, with our OBs or our primary care physicians. Like, is there a specific reason that doctors are just prescribing this and handing it out like candy? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're probably proof of that. It works. It's easy. It takes over. And the work that I do in my private practice and my passion is treating the underlying issues. But doctors don't have that capacity. When you're seeing 20, 30 people in a day, you don't have time to sit down for an hour and be like, here's how you care for your body at different phases of your cycle. And it's hard work, honestly. I don't think they have the capacity. Yeah. And I think something too that, you know, I learned recently that really blew my mind was that 
our doctors don't have the same kind of nutritional or like lifestyle training that like a nutritionist or a dietitian have. What is it like doctors only have like 10 hours in their whole four years of studying, whatever, like however long our schooling is, it's like a very small percentage is focused on nutrition. Is that right? Yes, that is 100% correct. I hope that programs are changing in the future to understand, especially coming from more of a preventative medicine lens. There are so many more things that we can be doing. But, you know, there is a time and place for birth control. I'm not here to just demonize it. It's done a lot for women's rights, and it's a really important tool that we have, but it should not be abused. And there are certain situations, and I think letting people have the informed choice, giving people the decision here's some of the side effects. You are at a significant increased risk for blood clots when you take birth control. Like I did not know any of these things and I don't blame my mom. I don't blame my doctor. I don't blame myself just because I was 14 and I trusted my doctor, right? Like they're the one that has the authority in this situation. And it's like, okay, this is what you recommend. I'm going to do what you say. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I think we all respect our doctor's opinions and it has become where we're scared to stand up for ourselves at points. But I think that people getting or being armed with this information is so important. And one of the things, you know, just you kind of bringing up side effects and like understanding the side effects. I think there's also been a lot of myths that have come about with birth control So maybe let's just bust a couple of those real quick before we dive into just how actually birth control does work. One of the ones that I hear often, and I've been sharing a little bit of my like trying to conceive journey on TikTok and people are like, yeah, it's because like doctors are handing out birth control and birth control creates infertility. So like, is that true? I don't think we have enough information to make that direct cause and effect correlation But I do think there's a big connection and I see this in my practice now. And I think it's really invalidating. It dismisses people when they are coming off the pill and then their cycle doesn't return or they're struggling and there are a lot of imbalances that are occurring while your body's trying to figure things out. And if your game plan in your mind, you're like, okay, I'm going to come off the pill today and I want to get pregnant tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. But Fertility clinics still use birth control when they're doing fertility treatments for people to simulate, okay, we get the bleed on this day, so you should ovulate on this day. Like They are still using it as a tool in their practice. So I don't think we can make that connection to say it absolutely causes infertility. But again, in my experience, the longer that we're on it, the longer that we're shutting our brain off and it's not regulating our hormones from the inside out, We're relying on outside sources, those exogenous hormones to control our cycle. That I think the harder it is for our brain to turn back on and regulate this process on its own again. Yeah. And like you said, we don't necessarily have enough data on it to be blaming birth control for infertility issues, but it's almost like because birth control is covering up so much of what's actually going on in our cycles. And if we're taking it for a prolonged period, This is my opinion, but I think that some of those underlying issues are going unrecognized, which can create future fertility issues, right? Because we're not getting to the bottom of our health issues because birth control is kind of covering that up. So I think that's a great segue to like 
We hear it a lot. Birth control just covers up your symptoms. What is birth control actually doing? Why does it help some people? And of course, like it makes symptoms worse for some people too. So I feel like there's like a really strong 50-50 split of birth control making you feel better or worse. So what is it actually doing? Yeah. Oh, there's so much to what you just said there too that I want to touch on. (laughs) But so it is this outside and we're speaking specifically to oral contraceptives. So this is a blend of both estrogen and progesterone that we're taking in a pill form. So it's exogenous. Those hormones are coming from an outside source. And what it's doing is basically blocking the communication from our brain to our ovaries. Our ovaries are where majority of these hormones are made, specifically estrogen. And it shuts that communication pathway off. Because you're getting them from the outside source, your brain is able to kind of turn that pathway off. So in doing that, it's basically simulating menopause in our body because we're not ovulating. When our levels are just consistent across the board, there's no monthly fluctuations. That's why you might feel similar every single day. And that's a lot of what I hear when people transition off the pill is noticing different energy fluctuations throughout the month, their mood changing in different phases of their cycle, et cetera. Where on the pill, you might just feel pretty flat. I know a lot of people that when they started birth control, they started having a lot of mental health issues too. They did not feel like themselves and they felt really low or flat, no energy, feeling more depressed or more anxious. And when you're playing with hormones, those are very common symptoms that we can experience because your body just doesn't know what to do (laughs) with maybe it's the amount, maybe it's the type or the form of those hormones coming in. The last thing, you know, big myth here is even when we get a period quote, I'm putting this in air quotes, (laughs) when we're on the pill, it's not a true period. So because we don't have those fluctuations, the lining in our uterus, the endometrium is never fully building up. So we don't have anything to shed. There's nothing for us to lose when we have a quote period. It's technically called a withdrawal bleed. So when you take that week of sugar pills or placebo pills or whatever you call them, iron pills, that cutoff or the removal of the hormones, they don't contain the estrogen or the progesterone, is what simulates or tricks your body into thinking, okay, I'm about to have a period. But there's nothing like that's unnecessary when you're on the pill. Is that why when a lot of people, so our pill bleed or withdrawal bleed, whatever that is, you said like our uterine lining doesn't build up, so we have nothing to shed. Is that why a lot of people on birth control don't actually like even get a period? Is that like a common or like what is that bleeding if there's no uterine lining? Yeah, exactly. And that's why there's a huge difference too in what you think your period blood might look like on your pill, which it's likely thinner. It might be lighter in color. It's because there's no like old blood hanging around from the previous cycle that's oxidizing. There's no thickening of that wall, so the consistency of the blood itself is a lot thinner. When we do come off the pill and some individuals might experience thicker blood, they're like, oh my gosh, what is this? (laughs) What what is this? Yeah. And that's probably true for like clots. And like, I mean, I know using my menstrual cup, you can like actually see Mm -hmm. skin, like you see debris. I don't know what to call it. Like in your cup, it's not just blood because we aren't just bleeding, like we're shedding. Exactly. 
So that I think that is really interesting to think about that, just like that awareness of like seeing a pill bleed, like the actual blood is not normal. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So super interesting. Basically, like what you just said was the pill prevents ovulation. We don't ovulate on the hormonal birth control pill. And that's why you can't get pregnant. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's how it works. And so a lot of people, and I think that this might be interesting for someone who's listening to this and hasn't heard the like craze of like, oh, I want to come off my birth control. I feel like, you know, there is this movement of people who are like, I want to be in tune with my body. I don't want to be on birth control. But for someone who birth control is working for in terms of helping them reduce their symptoms, like why would they maybe consider coming off birth control other than wanting to have a baby? The first things that I hear from individuals that I work with when they come off the pill is they feel clarity. They feel more like themselves. They have more energy. They have more libido, sex drive. Like those things are quality of life. We're not meant to feel the same every single day. Those energy fluctuations, those changes in our libido, everything is designed for a reason. (laughs) So that alone is obviously a huge benefit. But when we think about more of the side effects or the potential hazards of being on birth control, it's relationship to gut issues, especially, or if you are experiencing any of those mental health changes, the blood clot risk is higher. Those to me are the motivation to also come off the pill. It doesn't mean you have to get pregnant or you will get pregnant. I think whoever puts you on the pill should be the one telling you how to come off the pill. And we're never really given like this exit ramp. Like there are things that I recommend we do for three months before we even think about coming off the pill just to make that transition smoother because that was not my experience. I feel like I got punched in the face when I came off of the pill with my symptoms coming back. And now, again, that's my whole hope in helping people through this transition is to prevent all of those things from happening. Yeah, you just said so many things. First, (laughs) I just want to say, like, it's so true. The quality of life and us experiencing our natural energy fluctuations is like a true gift. So I think that that's a conversation we need to dig into on another episode sometime of just like, truly understanding what those energy fluctuations are and how we can align with them to really live to our full potential. But the other thing you are saying is there are certain things we can do when we decide we want to come off before just cold turkey. So what are some of those things? Let's dive into that. Yeah, absolutely. So the way that our body even processes birth control, like many other medications, is through our liver. So we really want to focus a lot on supporting our liver with nutrients coming from food and supplements and lifestyle behavior things as well. So just going to kind of rattle off a lot of those things because the pill naturally depletes a lot of our B vitamins. And that's through the way that it's metabolized, if you're curious why it does that. So it's using a lot of those B vitamins, zinc, selenium, magnesium, vitamin C and vitamin E. So the number one thing that I talk to people about before they come off the pill is starting a really good quality multivitamin. And this is where 
Maria is perfect for this. Like it's literally designed for that. <laughs> the amount of magnesium in this elixir is what I think makes a key difference for a lot of people too in the transition is supporting their mood and if they're experiencing any sort of anxiety as well. But all of those vitamins that are being depleted, we need to help restore and rebuild those stores of those vitamins because those are the essential building blocks needed for our body to even make the new hormones coming in. So if we never take time to replete and then we come off the pill, our body's like, well, I'm SOL. Like I don't have the necessary building blocks to even start this process. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And like, yes, it's amazing the amount of nutrients that are depleted by birth control. And it's not just birth control. Like there are so many prescription drugs that deplete nutrients and it's probably like because of how it affects our guts and how we, you know, metabolize food and are able to absorb nutrients. But I think that that's just such a mind blowing thing that doctors don't tell us when they prescribe birth control that we should also be adding in a really robust multivitamin to make sure that our bodies can still get the nutrients it needs. So adding in a really robust multivitamin, it sounds like if you're on birth control, you should just do it anyways, even if you're not thinking about coming off. And then increasing some of those nutrient-rich foods around that time. What what else? Is there anything else in there? Yeah. So yeah, when I think about like liver support as a whole, I think about the things that tax our liver. So Unfortunately, that is alcohol, it's sugar, it's caffeine. All of those are depleting our B vitamins, especially when they are being metabolized or broken down in the body. So limiting those things, especially while your body is going through this dramatic transition, is essential. For me, it's pretty non-negotiable. Other foods specifically that we can be adding in to support our liver are foods that naturally contain sulfur. So there's a whole process in the liver, sulfonation. It helps to break down. It's That's the main process. And this is our body's natural detoxifying organ. Like all of our blood runs through here. This is where all the hormones are regulated. So it's essential that we are supporting this. So those high sulfur rich foods are arugula, anything bitter, dandelion greens, microgreens have the highest concentrations of sulfur. All the brassicacea vegetables like broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, the ones that make you toot, that's for a reason. It's it's <laughs> the sulfur in there, right? Eggs themselves contain sulfur and even some dairy products, nuts and seeds as well. So having, I recommend my clients to have two servings of those daily, regardless of where you are. Like our liver <laughs> does such important things for us, we need to be supporting it. And two servings looks like one cup uncooked, half cup cooked, any of those things. Or the microgreens, they can just be eaten raw. You can do about a half a cup as well. Yeah, I think it's so interesting when I learned about our pathways of elimination, our organs of detox, and how that affects our hormones. Like, you know, we learn about our hormones, but we don't really, like, I've always thought about them as a separate entity in my body. But in reality, they're like, the communication pathways between our brain and our digestion and like how we detox all the things in our body. And so without supporting our detox organs like the liver, our hormones get really, really out of whack. And I feel like the same thing is true for digestion, right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So the liver is like the first stop for hormones. 
But once the liver has packaged things up nicely, it sends them on their merry way, they're traveling through our GI tract, our digestive system. There's actually a specific portion of our microbiome. So that's like the whole ecosystem within our gut that has the both good bacteria and quote bad bacteria that they live harmoniously in there most of the time. But there's a portion of this called the estrobilome that directly manages how much estrogen our body holds on to and how much it gets rid of. So when there's any sort of imbalance in that bacteria in the microbiome, it's going to directly affect how much estrogen your body holds on to or gets rid of. I think that's a huge thing that we're not always addressing. And that's why I focus on the gut health side of things first. So while you're coming off the pill, while your body is transitioning, we need to make sure that that master regulator, our liver, and I call our estrobilome the second thermostat. For me, it's like the second place. And if we're not doing it in that order, it's not going to work. <laughs> Things are going to go haywire. Yeah, super interesting. And I mean, they say like what a raw carrot a day to like help with estrogen balance. Is that a true thing? <laughs> yeah, it's in the skin too. So don't peel them. You need it. The skin component is actually essential. Like so baby carrots don't count, unfortunately. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And also leave a little like soil on there. Those are good, soil-rich, beneficial bacteria. It's a natural place for us to get them. Yeah, that's a great, great way to stimulate our estrobilome, but also just motility in general. Yeah. Oh my God. Lastly is like the third stop is going to the bathroom. So if you're not going to the bathroom well, I mean like a good bowel movement, complete, (laughs) feels satisfying every day, That's where we need to start because if your body has said, okay, we have enough hormones, we're going to get rid of the rest. And then it's just sitting in your body and your colon and not going anywhere. Those things get recycled right back into your system. I see this all the time and I can see it in the type of estrogen that gets recycled, but that's what's causing the PMS symptoms, the breast tenderness, the acne, the cyclical migraines, the cramping, the heavy clots. All of that is because your body is just not able to get rid of that estrogen effectively. Yeah. I think I didn't realize that until, you know, looking at the charts of your hormones and it literally is like a roller coaster ride, right? It's going up and down and up and down. And if we think about that, like if things go up in our body, the only way to get rid of them is through excretion. And so we think like, how does our body excrete? Like while we poop, we sweat, like all of these things. And so if we're not actually like taking a dump every day, we're not dropping that estrogen off at the pool. Like we need to drop the estrogen off. (laughs) Exactly. Other things too. Like, I mean, it's all cholesterols, hormones, other things. So it's essential. And so, yeah, some other things you just brought up in terms of excretion that are helpful in supporting our liver as a whole is sweating, sweating at least three times a week, whether that's in a sauna or even in a hot bath. I choose those two forms even over intense exercise because as your body is going through this transition, we really wanna mitigate and lower stress. So yes, stress can come from exercise too, but we need to support and sweat to get some of those things out. So that's why I prefer like infrared sauna or regular sauna or a hot bath. Something that hopefully most people have access to is a hot bath. 
Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. You know, we hear over exercising can make our periods go away. And so obviously, yes, there is a lot of stress that is put on the body through movement. Of course, daily movement is great for us, but at a certain level, it can be also harmful. Exactly. My kind of broad recommendation is limiting workouts to about 30 minutes or less, honestly, when we're healing hormones and choosing more restorative movements, more yoga, more Pilates, more walking, stretching than the high intensity boot camps and hit classes and things. And it's temporary. This is not your forever, but knowing that it might help to prevent some of those issues down the road and stressing out your thyroid. And that causes a whole nother downwind effect on your hormones. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about when coming off, you know, bringing nutrient levels back up, replenishing micronutrients. We've talked about reducing things that are going to affect our liver and improve our liver health. So like eliminating the caffeine, the alcohol, the stress, and then also thinking about our gut health. And so thinking about how we are metabolizing and excreting the necessary things while also just being able to actually absorb nutrients. So what else in terms of pre coming off, what should we be thinking about? Yeah. So again, as we talked about how birth control works in the first place of shutting off that communication pathway. So it's it's called the HPA axis. It's our hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenals. That axis also goes to our ovaries, the HPO axis. So when we're coming off the pill, we want to do everything in our power to support that communication pathway, which is also our nervous system. It's through the vagus nerve. So I talk a lot about nervous system support and vagus nerve exercises, and these are fun. These are really fun. Do you know any of these? No, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. And so I'm actually super interested. I'm like, I feel like I need to do this. Oh my gosh. Okay, cool. I love that I'm inciting this info for you. Yeah, so the vagus nerve, it is bi-directional, meaning it sends signals from our brain to the rest of our body, but it also is receiving those messages from other parts in our body and sending them back up to our brain. So, you know, briefly, when we talk about like the mind-gut connection, if there's anything off in your gut, it's also sending signals back up to your brain saying things are really off and you might feel unwell, like depression for example. So ways that we support this pathway as a whole, it is a nerve. It runs parallel to our spinal cord. So anything using our throat and having any sort of vibration is what can stimulate the vagus nerve. So things like humming, that vibration right behind your throat box is going to stimulate the vagus nerve gargling anything, water, whatever liquids for like two minutes a session, chanting, like when we think about, especially in a yoga class, you might chant the word om. There's legit reason for that. It's the vibration that helps to stimulate that pathway. Yodeling. So (laughs) I don't know many yodelers. I don't know about you. Maybe they do more so in the countryside, but still that vibration pattern but also things like meditation, deep belly breathing, all of those things are very, very calming for our nervous system and help to just soothe things overall and really help to stimulate the vagus nerve. I'm going to have to howl at the moon more often or something. I feel like that would work. <laughs> <laughs> it would definitely work. 
definitely work. Singing, chanting at your full moon circle. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I think that's so cool. And it can really become like a mindfulness practice for people too, right? It's just like working in a moment where you're connecting with your body a little bit deeper. So that's super, super interesting. And just having to create these pathways and like reinvigorate things that get halted from birth control. Exactly. And yeah, some other kind of things just supporting that HPO access specifically, it needs vitamin C to function. So again, that can be found in Morea or eating naturally vitamin C rich foods, right? Citrus, even broccoli, peppers, all contain natural sources of vitamin C. Sleep is essential. This is something that we definitely need to be prioritizing when we're focusing on our hormonal health. And, you know, that looks different for everybody, but somewhere between seven to nine hours is ideal. And that's, again, another non-negotiable for me. Even being intimate, having sex has been shown to be beneficial. So when we orgasm, especially, there's a lot of those feel-good neurotransmitters and hormones that are released and endorphins post-sex that we experience that are super helpful. They're very calming for our body. So if you needed a reason, if your partner needed a reason, there you go. Things that the pathway also can benefit from is sodium. So this speaks more to our adrenals. They function off of sodium. So we need to be having enough salt in our diet. I love, especially if we're eating more whole foods and we're not getting sodium naturally, Having one electrolyte beverage a day, I think is an easy way for us to incorporate it or sprinkling iodized salt onto your meals. It needs to be iodized to support our thyroid. I also like adaptogens. It's one that I like to lean on, but there are some contraindications for people. So this is very individualized. I wouldn't just go start taking one without talking to your provider. There are different types, different amounts. If you have an autoimmune issue, you might not be recommended to take certain ones if you have blood pressure issues, etc. So this is one to, it is more medicinal than anything else, but they can be really helpful, especially things like ashwagandha supporting anxiety and helping your body make this transition a little bit easier. Yeah, I'm so glad you touched on that. And just that, you know, there are so many things that should be individualized, whether it's adaptogens or herbs or um, things like that, just because everyone has different needs and their body's functioning different. So that's such a good thing. And the salt thing is really interesting. I guess I didn't really realize that. I mean, I definitely salt my food pretty often, but yeah, I would never think of like doing an electrolyte drink just to like support thyroid and hormones. That's really interesting. I notice if people feel like no matter how much water they drink, they always feel thirsty or their urine comes out just clear you might not be retaining or holding on to that water to even rehydrate your cells. You might need a little bit more of those electrolytes, sodium, potassium specifically, to help your body actually retain and, and use the water that you are providing it with. But that's another thing when we have some adrenal issues, you might notice craving more saltier foods or sweet foods. And that's specifically because your adrenal glands are using those electrolytes. So it's an easy way kind of nice little blanket. And now, I mean, there's infinite options out there. I don't know. Do you incorporate electrolytes when you run? I do for long distance. You know, I'll usually do one like before I go for a long run and then we'll take salt tabs with me. 
but I don't do it unless I'm kind of, no, I'm going to be out for like three plus hours, really. Yeah. No matter like activity level. And again, this is for individuals that are eating mostly whole foods. I recommend everybody salt their food with iodized salt and incorporate, depending, uh, an electrolyte beverage every day. Yeah. I'm going to go run into the kitchen after this and see if our salt is iodized. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is essential. Salt and selenium. So the iodine from iodized salt supports our thyroid and selenium. So even consuming two Brazil nuts a day is enough selenium to support your thyroid. Um, There is also some selenium in Maria as well. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Okay. So this is kind of like all of the things you can do leading up to and once you've come off, but like, what should someone kind of expect when they like no longer taking birth control? What is that journey like in terms of getting back to a quote unquote normal cycle? So I would be remiss not to talk about nutrition as I am a registered dietitian. And I think a really important thing to also reduce stress in our body while we're making this transition, while your body is trying to come off of the pill is making sure we're just getting adequate nutrition in general. The composition, sure, it's something to focus on. You know, we want to get enough fiber that helps us go to the bathroom. We want to get those complex carbohydrates for energy, enough protein, enough fat, Fat is the building block for a lot of our hormones. So I don't recommend fasting at all. If you are a menstruating person, it is a source of stress. And I always recommend people to start eating an hour within waking as a way to also get their metabolism going, get their motility moving. And yeah, another way to just reduce stress overall in the body. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize real quick, I even this week, someone in our DMs was saying like, oh, how many carbs is in your product? Because I don't eat carbs. And like, can we just talk about really quickly the importance of complex carbs for menstruating people? Yeah. I mean, we definitely should do like a whole episode on maybe keto or paleo or low carb in general and its impacts on our menstrual cycle, but absolutely not recommended. We need carbohydrates. It's our brain's primary source of fuel. And I think something that can be helpful to think about when you are eating them, or if this is maybe a food that you've limited in the past, or you have a label on it for some reason, identifying like, where did that even come from? What is telling you to do that? If your body is craving carbohydrates, there's a reason. It's energy, it's fuel, and it's essential. And again, those are part of the building blocks to even make our hormones. So in order to have happy hormones, we need to be incorporating adequate amounts of carbohydrates. And that number is completely individualized. I'm never going to throw out numbers, recommendations, macronutrients here, but that is something that should be a part of your diet when you are, period. It should be a part of your diet, period. But especially when we're healing our hormones, we need to make sure that we're getting enough. Yeah. And so what are some of the like really solid complex carbs that people should be incorporating and have no guilt about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always lean on those, especially starchy vegetables. We're entering into the fall right now. It's squash season. I love butternut squash, acorn squash. Oh my gosh. I introduced someone to my favorite squash, delicata squash. If you haven't tried it, 
I saw you post about delicata this week and I was like, oh my God, I was just thinking about delicata squash because there was this like dish at a restaurant I had last fall and I was like, oh, I want to make that. It's so, it is my favorite. It tastes like candy. So yeah, those starchy vegetables, which even incorporates carrots on that list, any sort of legumes, beans, chickpeas, lentils, quinoa, those are all Quinoa is actually a seed, if you didn't know. It's not a grain. So (laughs) those are great ways for us to incorporate a lot of those complex carbohydrates into all of our meals. Amazing. Okay. So glad we touched on that. And yes, we'll have to do, I think, a larger episode all about like the importance of carbs and why women shouldn't be keto because the amount of people who are like, oh, I'm keto. You're like, oh no, like your poor body is screaming for help. No judgment, though. I mean, I've tried a lot of things, too. I totally get it. But yeah, I think your original question was like, what can we expect when we're coming off the pill? Like, what does this timeline kind of look like? And, you know, we just talked about a lot of different things to be doing. And I would say pick one or two that you can focus on that feels very doable, super realistic. You can commit to doing this every day to support your body and even telling yourself like, I'm doing this to support my hormones. I'm creating this boundary in my life. I'm putting my phone away an hour before bed. I'm prioritizing my sleep because I'm prioritizing my hormone healing, etc. And the more you just tell yourself like, there's a reason, you know, there's a reason we're doing this. I think that really helps people to make some behavior change. But overall, I expect about a three-month window before there are any hormone changes. And there's a reason for that too. So the follicles, which we need like a whole anatomy lesson here, but we're born with all of the eggs we're ever going to have. We don't create eggs later on in life. But the follicle, which is like the house for the egg, takes 90 days to grow. So when we think about like any changes in a three month period, it's because that follicle is taking 90 days. So the next follicle to be grown and released of that egg, that cycle is when you can expect to see some changes. So I really like to give people like a three month timeline. Okay, you're trying to conceive, Let's focus on these things for the next three months after coming off the pill before we start trying. Like getting your body prepared mentally, physically, etc. Really looking at that three-month window. I don't know about you, but a lot of my symptoms showed up at like the four-month, three to four-month range after I came off the pill. I was like, oh, okay, we have acne now. This is cool. Yeah, I feel like I'm so glad that you said this like three month period thing, because it's something that we even say with our product, right? Of like, you know, you may see like results in the first month. That's probably like the magnesium, you know, helping you feel calmer and sleep better and all those things. But at the end of the day, it does take like give yourself three months to see what your body's really experiencing and changing, especially introducing nutrients, because it takes that long for our bodies to adapt. So it's so important for us to like recognize those things and like hear them over and over. We're so used to getting immediate results from like prescription drug, from just taking ibuprofen, like this like quick fix. And unfortunately, when we're doing things from like a deep rooted place, and I hate to say the right way, but I believe that this is like, you know, a nourishing 
proper way to support our bodies, it takes freaking time. Yeah. I think it is really hard, especially if you are told or taught that it doesn't really impact things. So if your expectation is, okay, I'm going to come off the pill and I'm going to get my cycle and we're just going to move on. No one has given you this information that we're telling you today that that's not realistic. That's the abnormal. That's the outlier experience. That's not the normal experience when we're coming off the pill. So yeah, (laughs) being realistic about it, I think is helpful. Yeah. And I really love too, that you brought us all kind of back to reality of we talked about so many things today that you could, should do. And at the end of the day, like pick two, you know, like do something that's realistic for you. We're sharing this information not to overwhelm you or not to make you feel like you're not doing it right or inadequately. We're trying to just equip you with a range of things that can be supportive if you are considering going off the pill, if you're on the pill, if you're in the transition off of the pill. Like there is so much you can do, but really commit to one or two and see how it goes. One of my kind of last questions, I think, is so say someone has done a lot of the right things, they have come off the pill and it's been three or four months and they are still just spiraling, like symptoms are back with a vengeance. Like you said, like acne is back and they are just like, oh my God, I want to go back on the pill because I like, I just can't take it. Like what should someone's action steps be in that, in that instance? Yeah. That's typically where people call me. <laughs> that's when I get the frantic help me. And that is, I think a really good next step is finding a provider that you trust who is very familiar with this work. They know what to do. They've dealt with it many times before. They don't have to have this lived experience. I consider that to be a bonus. I don't, I'm not regretful that I had a really challenging time with coming off of the pill. It only allows me to have some compassion and understanding for my patients and clients. But yeah, troubleshoot, figuring out where this imbalance lies. Is it your thyroid? Is it your gut? Is it your hormones being off kilter? Do you actually have undiagnosed issue going on? like PCOS, like endometriosis, which both can be managed completely. I do this work every day and they are not a a life sentence by any means. A lot of individuals experience, I mean, Monica, you can speak to this yourself, right? Like you have learned to manage PMDD completely. Yeah. And I think it's so easy for us, like in today's world of having labels for a lot of our medical issues, our mental health, all these things. And it's really easy for us to like end up falling back into a victim kind of mindset with it of like, I'm doomed. There's nothing I can do. I have this thing, like I'm suffering. But if I could tell people anything, it's like we are in control and we truly can come out on the other side of it. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it going to take work and effort? Of course, all good things take work and effort. But, you know, we don't have to just sit back on our heels and think that, like you said, it is a life sentence because truly it's not. And every month isn't going to be perfect or great. And you'll have like, quote unquote, relapses or bad months. But knowing that we can have good months, I think, is something everyone should know. Absolutely. Our health is not a linear thing. 
even when you get to a resolution, there are still life things that happen. Maybe you get sick. Maybe somebody passes and you have grief. Maybe you have a breakup. Life happens. We can't prevent those things from happening. And they might shift your health or some of your symptoms temporarily. But having this awareness, knowing that it's not a forever thing, being empowered by that, not feeling defeated, like Monica said, not playing into that victim mode of like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get over this. Because I can't say always, unfortunately, but there is most often a way and a way to make things at least better, if not completely gone. Yeah. I feel like this is such a great place to wrap up just with like giving people hope and feeling energized towards anyone out there who is maybe feeling um, like they need some healing. So any last words on birth control before we wrap things up? I think it has a time and a place. It's done beautiful things, but it's not for everyone. It doesn't need to be the only option. Coming off of it does not mean you will get pregnant or that you need to get pregnant. And there are so many benefits to living life without the influence of outside hormones. Believe me. Yeah. I think there's no shame in either side, right? Being on birth control or being off, uh, it's mostly just about knowing our options, knowing the side effects, knowing what it's doing to our body. And that education and knowledge is the most empowering thing. So that's what we're here for. We are not here to shame anyone. We have obviously both been on both sides of it, been on birth control, been off birth control. And we just hope that you feel armed with the information that's going to help you make the right decision for you. Okay. Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Flow State podcast, where we're all about finding balance in your everyday life. If you learned something in today's episode, we would love for you to, of course, subscribe and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. And we hope you will join us for our next episode next week. Yes. And share, 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 share it with your friends. Yeah, definitely share if you learned something today. Bye, guys. Bye.